I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Can't find a grizzly man. <laughs> she dreams in color, she dreams in rain. Can't find a grizzly man. Can't find a grizzly man. Can't find a grizzly man. Grizzly, grizzly man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, what you guys missed, I wouldn't say you missed it, but it occurred. Missed implies that you somehow suffered a loss. Uh, yeah, I mean the other meaning where it definitely occurred before we started recording. And I'm not going to say how long it occurred for. We normally start recording at 9 p.m. Central Time. It's 9.45. But we did go through a few songs that could work as some sort of Grizzly Man parody. But you know how, like, like for example, a Weird Al will write other words to a parody song as opposed to just change the title for songs that have a similar word or the exact word in the title? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do that. We do the other thing I just said. Mm-hmm. We are somehow sub Nathan Fielder's Starbucks parody artist because he would change sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I mostly yeah. I mostly just go for. I mostly just go for the same joke over and over again. I'm not writing a full full blooded parody. Uh, yeah, because with the way that we do notes at this point, who knows if it would make it on air, Peter? Yeah. You can't put that much of your your sweat, your blood, and your tears just to have like a, I don't know, um, a, a full version of like Grizzly Man. I feel like a bear. Bum bum. Can't do that. <laughs> what about um? Grizzlies come for a man. He was put there by Willie Fulton from a plane in the sky. You can also say he was put there by Bear 21473. <laughs> we are not making fun of Timothy. Tyler we are. Today. Let's. Yeah, let's. let's we're, hold on. Where we love to watch. For movie podcasts, pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around the theme. And if we remember, we compare and crest. It's a new month. It's our first Patreon-sponsored month, which yes. we're extremely excited about. Uh, so, Sean, who will actually be joining us to close out the month, had uh, picked our Patreon reward, where you get to come guest on an episode and pick it. Uh, and he picked the movie Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon, from, I believe, 2018. Uh, and it... And we were so, like, into the idea of it's September. September is really kind of a – you kind of got to get back to things. I know, Peter, I don't know about your office. My office is finally doing, like, a hybrid model and going back in. My kids are going to go not do distance learning. Uh, and all these things at once makes me feel like I just want to get the fuck out of the of civilization. And so mm-hmm. it, it made a lot of, like, thematic sense. That's that's true of a lot of Septembers when kids got to go back to school, the weather changes, blah, blah, blah. It feels extra true about September 2021. So we're doing I Gotta Get Out of Here month. And um, about people that have essentially left the comfort of civilization – and gone off uh, into the wilderness in some capacity. So we're going to be doing uh, Wild with Sean. 
We're going to be doing The Mosquito Coast, which is a movie I saw weirdly in junior high and loved and haven't seen since, but um, is uh, is now a TV show. Um, which yeah, it's check very, out well. very relevant all of a sudden. Um, yeah, and a Peter Weir, being too. sort of a orphan, redheaded stepchild, so to say, of uh, Harrison Ford's career and Peter Weir's career. Yeah. And uh, we're doing uh, – uh, uh, hold on. Oh, Jeremiah Johnson, a movie I've never seen, but is very popular in GIF form. So I want to see I want to see they made a movie out of a gift, Peter. We got to check it out. It's one of my favorite movies. It's also I did not sneaking know in a stealth Western, um, but it's going to give us a lot of opportunities to talk about what it means when a big city slicker goes out into the wild and tries to become one with the land and become a mountain man. Um, Worth noting, we're not, we're not covering city slickers. <laughs> we're not not only are we not doing city slickers, we're not doing Into the Wild, a movie that Peter and I do not care for. Yes, yes. Uh, however, we care for all the other movies we're doing this month. So. Yes, but – and we're starting uh, – it, it actually made sense to start with this one mainly because Peter and I have um, a lot of affection for it. I think we found – I don't think we realized this about each other, but as we were talking about it, like I, I have said this is my favorite documentary of all time. The last time I did my top 250 movie list, which at this point is seven years old, so tons of things would change, tons of things would get added. But Peter, I went and looked and it was 33. And that kind of feels right to me. This is a movie that I've watched uh, a lot since I started doing Letterboxd as well. Like, this is a movie where every couple years I get a hankering to, to, to see. And it also is, you know, if we're talking about a theme, this is kind of the real life version. The, the next three movies we're going to do are obviously fict- fictitious. Um, and this is a documentary about Timothy Treadwell, who in real life, uh, IRL, decided he was going to go get away from it all and live in Alaska with grizzly bears. And I think it's time for a few disclaimers <laughs> before we do this episode. <laughs> Because it – look, I don't know – There, we will, we will probably make jokes about Timothy Treadwell and about what he's doing and some of the silliness of – that's on display here because I, I mean this with as much affection as I can say to another human being. Timothy Treadwell seems like a very sweet but a very, very silly man. <laughs> and, and so there's a lot – that's kind of tied up in there. I I think what you won't hear us make jokes about is his girlfriend, Amy. Um, and it's not because like one is more of a tragedy than another, but the one thing that you really get from his diaries, his public persona, things he said publicly is that he was kind of at peace with the fact that um, the, what he was doing with his life could result in him getting eaten by a grizzly bear. And then the other thing I would say is that I also think that well-intentioned as he was, he was very, very, very bad at his stated mission and uh, ultimately caused more harm than good. And some of those 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 things end up being um you know kind of tied into you know how silly it is there's you know there's like a he you, Peter I I I know you want to say something on this too but there's like a thing that like he kind of really became famous in 2001 and then was eaten 2 years later and then as I was cuz he en- get ends he lived with bears for 13 years if you don't know the story and then at the in 2003 he was finally 
eaten. And I say finally because it did seem inevitable that that was going to happen. 13 and, summers at Katmai National Park. Like, yeah. Or uh, in the uh, the area near Katmai National Park. 13 summers. Yeah. I mean, living... living somewhere near bears, coyotes, wolves. Yeah. Living, ex- I mean, as, as we'll talk about it, extremely close, but like... The, the time between him kind of getting, you know, being featured on 2020 and Letterman or not 2020 Dateline and stuff like that um, and him getting eaten was like minuscule. Like I had this image in my head of like a, a, a Saturday Night Live skit or something where like um, the guy, you know, tells the story of, of Timothy Treadwell for a news report and then gets breaking news that he's been eaten by a bear because like <laughs> that's how quick it felt like from the po- – like people found out who he was. I found out who he was in 2001 and then not that much further down the road, I found out he was eaten by bears. And and so there is dramatic irony in that that lends itself to a level of jokes. And then the other part, I'll just – again, as a disclaimer, Werner Herzog – directs this movie. Werner Herzog is also very funny in the way that he portrays him because I'm getting a little bit of the theming out of the way, but I think it's important for just understanding the tone of this episode at least a little bit. Werner Herzog does not care for Timothy Treadwell. I would say definitely as an activist or well-intended. He he, he, yeah, sees he, he doesn't believe – he's similar to, I believe, both of us, it sounds yeah. like. The, he doesn't believe in his ecological mission. He doesn't – he finds a lot of it irrational and, and um, naive, I will yeah. say. And I, I would think almost a, a fool in a lot of senses, right? Like, yes. Um, yes. His respect for him comes from other places, not as um, him as some sort of misunderstood hero, but rather – uh, as a man who uh, made very strange life decisions and filmed a lot of it. Yeah, so it, it's it, one of the reasons this movie is so good, but also something that just leads to a lot of unintentionally humorous moments, I think, for fans of Herzog and for, like, I don't think this movie, I don't think Herzog is intending to be funny, but the, 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 the funniness that comes in here, the humor that comes in, I think, to Peter and myself and, um, other people that we talked to is you have Timothy Treadwell, like, these scenes of him giving these impassioned pleas about how great the things that you're doing is only to be have Werner Herzog come in and go, this little fool trying his best <laughs> in nature <laughs> when nature only like that contrast. It's like it's a hippie. It's a blonde hippie life yeah. coach uh, up against a uh, what appears to be a German nihilist. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that contrast is uh, underlined circle highlighted is why this movie is as good as it is, why I consider it my favorite documentary of all time and one of my favorite movies of all time. But you cannot get around the fact that there is a lot of humor in that contrast. Um, in, at, at, at a meta, not a textual level, but in a metatextual level. Like, looking at it as a fan of the of like his form of filmmaking, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, and the other thing that's kind of unfair, like, that Herzog is almost cheating with, is that Herzog is looking at this stuff through hindsight, right? Like, Tr- Timothy Treadwell's story was done, and then two years later, Herzog got to interpret it with the the lens of 2020 vision which obviously timothy treadwell didn't get to do in the moment so having again having his story presented by someone who uh, respects him as a filmmaker and is kind of amazed at the level of footage that he could get while also thinking that 
uh, he's a fool, and he's and and Herzog has already been proven right by history that he will be seen as a fool who lived with bears and got eaten. Um, leads to some of the comedy. So I, I, I just want to say, like, I, I in no way, and I think Peter, like, and again, what. I, this I don't want this to feel like us saying no offense right before we say something offensive and expecting it to mean anything. But at the very least, I do want to level set that um, Peter and I do find a lot of unintentional or intentional humor in the way this movie is presented and Timothy Treadful as a as a person. Um, in no way do we think it's funny that him and his girlfriend were eaten by bears. Absolutely not. So. There was no, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any karmic justice here. I just no. think it was someone who was uh, very confused. Um, however, they had a very fascinating life. And that's what makes this, this documentary so interesting to me because if it was just about uh, dumb asshole gets eaten by bears, that that's, that's not compelling to me. That no. doesn't make this one of my favorite movies of all time and probably my favorite documentary of all time. Um, that's it, it, It's in the contrast between and, and the melding between Herzog's it's not nihilism, but it's 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 a very like pragmatic, realist sort of perspective on yeah. nature and the point of existence that really is really closer to where I stand. Yeah. Versus uh, Treadwell's, which is more of this like um, Disney idealist, Disneyfied, Disneyified version. Yeah, of nature. Yes, and and I I I actually see if there you know on that spectrum, I think Treadwell is further off uh, uh, off on the. Um, further ends of that sort of disnified idealism towards nature um i think he's 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 way further off there than herzog because herzog actually can like balance out his his sort of pragmatic dark perspective yeah um and he like and but herzog is like it, it's sort of like the old saying like you scratch a cynic and you, you you find a humanist underneath like herzog ultimately like cares about humanity yes he's not he's not someone who's like um, he's not like what I an idiot. For, I'm I root for the comets when yeah. I see them coming through the night sky that they might finally, yeah. they might finally burn out this mistake of civilization. Like he's not, um, he's not like uh, you know, uh, like some sort of like some like a cosmic like a Thomas Ligotti who like. Uh, thinks of all of existence as some sort of um, mistake uh, or some sort of or the idea of consciousness, I guess, more specifically as a mistake. He's not he's not that far down the spectrum. Um, but he, he's 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 a little he, he ends up being a little bit closer towards the middle, which is, I think, um, why the movie is so fascinating, because it is a, a great contrast of perspectives. But like you kind of see Herzog struggling with the, the, the human, but being unable to sort of let go of him. So we're definitely not here to make fun of him because like that well for one it would be a very boring and cruel episode but for two like it would undercut what Herzog was trying and successfully accomplishing yes and we talked I actually don't want to rehash all this because weirdly we we did uh, Nosferatu the Vampire which was our first Herzog movie last summer but we also paired it unofficially uh, with My Best Fiend and so we had a lot of Herzog talk with uh, guest Rick Kelly. And one thing that, you know, kind of we kind of came to or I said about like why I like Herzog so much and why I kind of align with his view is that Herzog does not anthropomorphize like anything. Right. Like there's a great part in this movie where he's like, you know, uh, where he's like 
Timothy saw nothing but cuddliness in the bear, and I see an inhuman monster who is <laughs> alternately hungry and bored by a silly man. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but like that that concept of it's not that Herzog sees nature as without beauty or without something to be in awe of, but he 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 thinks I think his his. He talks about this a lot in My Best Fiend and some of the stuff that you watch when you see like Burden of Dreams too, is that he thinks nature is in general and most of the planet Earth and most of the universe as a whole as uh, inhospitable and indifferent to human needs. And there's a coldness and a chaos to the whole – to the whole thing. And – that's where he sees the beauty in understanding it. It's that idea of like, you know, he talks about this on Burden of Dreams, like how much he both fucking hates all the bugs, but also is in awe of this like almost, uh, you know, miniature universe that exists around him and feeds off him that is indifferent to his one as a as a human being. So like that. I mean, that's why we like Lovecraft, right? It's this that we 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 like a lot of the horror of kind of recognizing how uh, minuscule your your place in the universe can be, and how indifferent the universe as a whole is to you. And that's you know that's what Herzog is doing from a almost like a nature documentary perspective, while not trying to pretend that he loves it or that him as a human is not. Um, affected by that and so like that's such an interesting approach to a nature documentary and that's why like i like i love encounters at the end of the world i love the white diamond like like herzog's documentaries about like the world that we live in are so fascinating because it's he's not looking at it from the perspective of someone who is seeing the beauty and only the beauty of like a landscape or a person like he's seeing the beauty of a frozen wasteland in antarctica and also recognizing the general uncaringness of the universe when a penguin gets turned around uh and ultimately doesn't know where to go and is is marching off to suicide uh, in the center of, of, you know, an ice sheet, like that, like those two things need to exist side by side for you to actually appreciate the, the world and the universe that we live in. Absolutely. And they, they make <laughs> it's that even the producers of this movie make a joke about how, oh, Grizzly Man wasn't even put up in nomination for, uh, you know, the best documentary picture, uh, Oscar. And, um, then uh, Herzog goes and makes encounters at the end of the world. <laughs> like there's, there's a certain the year that March the Penguins won. Um, so like it's 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 uh it's fairly fascinating um, as like a piece of historical context. But I think that was more just like um, Herzog was guided to the Antarctic as a new location that he hadn't he yeah hadn't conquered yet, and that March of the Penguins is a, a far more um, inspiring sort of nature documentary that you can watch with your children so you know it got more votes uh yeah than uh, grizzly man yeah exactly and um you know the other thing that's really just worth calling out which also makes this so different from stuff like the white diamond or encounters at the end of the earth or sorry encounters at the end of the world is that everything you're watching is not herzog filming for the most part besides the interviews in there which is different right he's not setting up cameras he's not figuring out what he wants to shoot he is essentially 
offering in some ways like besides the editing component of it and like what he wants to say about it he's essentially offering a commentary track on this other person with a wildly different perspectives footage and i think that is why you get a lot of the humor but it's also why it is just fascinating because you have essentially a a very adept nature documentarian who is assembling a different nature documentarian's footage and from a uh, and he has a perspective that is fundamentally in uh, in disagreement and in conflict with the f- the 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 person who assembled the footage and that is just fucking like fascinating there literally will never be another movie like this I think it's also good to take a step back and talk about like uh, this is a movie that has um, a lot of knee jerk kind of reactions to it, similar to um, Christopher McCampwell or whatever Alexander Supertramp as he he, he knew himself as um, from uh, Into the Wild. Uh, He had a similar sort of reaction, which is like, oh, dummy shouldn't have gone out in the woods. Like, oh, he should have stayed working back at home. Similar with with Timothy Treadwell, like, no, shouldn't have tried to play with bears and the sort of knee jerk knee-jerk reaction to just call these people stupid and move on with your day uh i think isn't isn't just like it's not just that it's anti-humanist it's that it's like you're actively denying yourself a piece of nuance here that like is enriching to humanity which is that like we live in a society here and i don't know if you know this uh yes i have seen 2019's the joker Yes, I am um, we live in a society, and yet uh, a vast amount of people find themselves unable to fit in the, fit into that society, or people feel like they don't fit in, and yet find ways to cope with that sort of disassociation from from society. Um, and if you're the Joker, you just go crazier, man. You just go freaking wild. We should have covered the Joker for this month. Yeah, that guy does. He gets out of town. Like, he went into the wild. He went, went freaking. He went freaking wild. He danced on a taxi cab and killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah, he shot Johnny Carson in the face on live TV or something. the The point there is that like a lot of people feel this sort of uh, alienation from modern life, and 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 this past year has I think even people like me that were like kind of comfortable with the the silly game of like going to work and making sure that you're there on time and making sure that your productivity is up so that a billionaire can make more money like all of that sort of um that 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 sort of game really made sense and i think all of us over the past year and a half have been like but why and that's another reason why this month really clicks in for me and uh, i agree the, the flip side of that it's fairly cruel when people just toss this movie off as like don't go near bears. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a fairly reductive take on uh, a fucking human <laughs> life uh, that we have a rather humanist and thoughtful piece of of, of document documentary biography to, to accompany it. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. I, I agree 100 percent that this this type of month of like feeling trapped by civilization and society has is not a feeling that i've ever had until the last year and a half because like and you know you, there's the there's the there's the actual trappedness like all of, all of us felt unless you were a sociopath who was like i'm gonna breathe on everyone um all of us felt trapped for various lengths of times in our house right like 
uh, you were in the house and that's what you did and you stayed in the house and sometimes you went out for certain things but for most of the time you were in the house and that had and on top of that we also because of especially who is in power um, and a lot of uh, and everything else that was going on in our country and our world during the time it really like how did if you didn't feel somewhat trapped by the society that you lived in, like, I, I mean, great for you, but like, it felt like, Oh, you know, it didn't, it didn't actually felt feel like uh fucking the Joker. It felt like fucking Watchmen, right? Where all of a sudden you are like, I'm trapped in here. I'm trapped in this civilization with a government who is, who is not just ineffectual, which I'm somewhat used to at handling up any sort of response or a society's needs in, in the face of the pandemic, but accurate, uh, like uh, actively antagonistic towards it, as well as, uh, you know, I hated capitalism before the pandemic, but holy cow, the amount of people going like, we need the mom and pop stores to make money. So, so some people's grandmas are going to die. It was just like, where am I? Like, how could you not feel like where is a place on the map where this isn't happening? And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think that's hundred percent true. And then I also think like, I, I think there's always people who are ready to laugh at just the idea of, well, Hey, dumb, dumb, don't, don't go out and live in nature because it's dangerous or read your book on what berries to eat or don't go touch bears. And I think that is inherently reductive in the way that like literally any of those people could say that about all the different ways that we as a society die, right? Like, Hey, maybe don't live in a crowded populated area that has smog all the time. And you went to die to lung cancer. Like, Oh yeah. Maybe you are getting into a car accident when you have to drive 40 minutes every day to sit at a desk or like, I I think like if you were, if you reduce it to what an idiot, like a ton of people's death, if you're that type of person could be reduced to what an idiot. And like, because ultimately, we all make choices that end up resulting in all of our deaths at different times. Like, uh, sometimes accidental, sometimes through no fault of anyone's, but that's ultimately how our, our body and our world works, and sometimes just random chance. I will say, I think the big difference between Into the Wild, a movie I don't like, but a person I have no ill will towards whatsoever, and this movie is that I think... There is a lot of valid criticism of what Treadwell was doing that I think can sometimes feel I, – I think on the other side of it, Peter, too many people have shied away from or been defensive about that part of the conversation because it feels to them like shitting on the dead when I don't think that's what it is. Whereas I may be forgetting something, but like the guy who just decided he didn't want to be around his family and went to Alaska, like at, he was like, I don't, I don't know what valid criticisms you can really say besides, I guess I wouldn't have done that. But like, I, I have a, we're going to talk about grizzly people. We're going to talk about um, what his activism ultimately, whether it was good or bad. I, I think there's a lot of valid criticisms of what he was doing, even if, that definitely doesn't mean um, I wish he was dead. And I definitely think he had good, if completely misguided intentions. And the other thing you'll hear tonight is that um, 
everyone thinks they're a bear expert for some reason and we're not immune from that we're we're gonna i'm not gonna, gonna say pretend, we're gonna pretend we're bear experts a little bit tonight i did hold on i lived in in glacier park basically Kalispell, montana 20 minutes away from glacier park from the ages of two to seven so i know a lot about bears like uh yell a lot if you're hiking where their bears are uh make sure you don't uh leave your trash cans unlocked because they will open it and make a big fucking mess uh you gotta tie up your stuff in trees your food your perishables uh don't run around in a meat suit don't uh throw matches because a guy with a shovel dressed as a bear will come yell at you Oh my god, that guy is such a bummer. I'm just going out in the woods and doing a little match flicking. Let me ask you a, a real question. I think this is the most important thing we're going to talk about tonight. If you met someone named Smokey, and it wouldn't, wasn't you Robinson. Ass- wouldn't you assume he smoked and not that his big thing was fire prevention? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like like if you're like oh smoky's coming out tonight you'd be like oh man that guy always brings the best weed or that guy smells like an ashtray you wouldn't be like <laughs> oh, god damn it he's gonna get mad at me because i'm not watering my grass properly and <laughs> the fire the fire season thing is at orange and uh yeah, so he's he's naming himself after what he hates, which is, in a sense, uh, almost a self-destructive act. Yeah. It's like Chris Hansen didn't name himself Pedophile. <laughs> pedophile like, Hi, my name is Pedophile Hansen. I catch pedophiles. Everyone's like, uh... <laughs> like, and they're like, did you register as a pedophile? I'm like, yeah, when I got my, my name changed down at the city clerk office and pedophile jones i registered as a as pedophile <laughs> hey smokey <laughs> uh yeah I, i'm just saying like like <laughs> woodsy the owl was named after what he wanted which is good woodsies <laughs> he, he wasn't called garbage dump the owl who talked to you about like <laughs> Don't don't make the woods a garbage dump. Uh, Should be called No Smokey the Bear is what I'm saying, Peter. No yeah, Smokey. Yeah, yeah. Um, like for me, it would. I didn't name myself. Uh, punching myself in the nuts, Moran. No, the thing that I the hate thing that you the like most. the least. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the oddball is McGruff the crime dog because he, I mean. First of all, McGruff is just nothing. I think that is just his name. It's to make him sound tough, so, you, so you're you're scared of the bear. Yeah, and also he must be Irish. <laughs> I also forget. I called him a bear. <laughs> He's a crime dog. He's a crime dog. McGruff the crime dog. McGruff the crime also, bear. Also, wait, hold on. He's a crime dog. He's just like Smokey the Bear because he's a crime dog. I know. That's He's named after the thing he hates most. It's crime. Yeah, no, that's a great part. He's not like McGruff the upstanding citizen dog. <laughs> Put your cans out on the curb on Thursday night, folks. 
Yeah, he really should have, like, been focused on... I think there should be a whole new protest against, like, making... Or uh, for making new PSAs that are like, wage theft is actually the worst thing when it comes to <laughs> theft in the country. It would be such a better uh, use of resources than, like, uh, a... a uh, uh, a police officer coming oh. to our classroom oh uh, when we're in fifth grade and being like, you shouldn't smoke weed. I'm like, smoke what? Uh, you know how, like, I don't you know. Don't who- want me to do what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. They they really hit that the hardest in elementary school when no one had ever offered me drugs and none of my <laughs> friends knew where to get it. And, and, then, them, and I was like, and I was like, wait a minute. Everything else you said was bullshit. I know. Why all of this? the, yeah, it's, it is true. Them hitting like weed will make you think you can fly and then you smoke your weed and you're like, I think I can eat. <laughs> I think I can watch an entire season of Speed Racer. It's like, oh, I'm sure heroin's fine. Um, because of what they told me about about weed, but they did hit it hard at you a put time. Your baby when you, in the microwave, Aaron. Uh, yeah. Well, some you know sometimes you can't. The bath doesn't get warm enough. <laughs> um, I I I do think I don't know who owns the rights to McGruff the Crime Dog. Probably like the fucking government or some shit. But can you imagine how good it would be to buy the rights to McGruff the Crime Dog and then only focus on the crimes that actually destroy society? Where it's like, hey, kids, don't become an entrepreneur. Start your own business and then succumb to wage theft as a way to screw Like, (laughs) Hey, kids, don't use crypto as a means of hiding your tax income, tax deductible income. Insider trading's a crime. (laughs) <laughs> stock market regulation and the regulation of financial de- uh, departments can make sure you stay off the stay out of the pen and on the streets so that that crime dog i would be very supportive of because i i love uh dogs um and i like to believe that as a crime dog he's 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 been around a few times he's been in the pokey he's been in the kennel so to speak yeah the pound yeah, sadly, to kind of transition it back to what we're actually talking about, the reason why he was put out of commission is he ate Timothy Treadwell's parents. He did? 2006. Yeah, I mean, they, they harbored a known marijuana smoker, so <laughs> he was left with no choice. So this is a non sequitur if you haven't seen the movie recently, but, like, someone should have told that dad, like, you can take off the sunglass clips for this. <laughs> <laughs> this is in one of those situations where the sun's going to come out quick and you might need to flip them down. You're doing an interview for a lengthy period of time in a house. Listen, a lot of my friends have skylights. I need to be prepared. <laughs> that almost the thing about Herzog is probably like, keep it. <laughs> that's, that's one of my, so like that's the best thing about Herzog is that he meets these weirdos and he's like and, and they're like isn't it aren't you standing a little close and he's like absolutely not <laughs> so let's uh let's talk a little bit about before we get into the movie proper like you may want like the thing <laughs> that made me laugh thinking about it rewatching this movie for like the 15th time last night is like and one of the reasons why it's sometimes fun to do these podcasts or these movies you've seen so many times is like, all of a sudden I was like, okay, wait a sec. Here's something I've never thought about before. How did Werner Herzog end up making 
making this movie like did he hear on did he hear on the news like that timothy treadwell was eaten by bears and then like took the first flight from frankfurt to to los angeles and but like hello <laughs> i told you that nature was an awful beast and now it produced a literal awful beast i'm going to need all the footage that you have i will be assembling a movie <laughs> To excoriate this man. <laughs> do you know? Do you know the actual story about how this movie got made? I do. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm, pretty fascinating that it, it came yeah. from such a exploitational, uh, exploitational yeah. origin. Yeah, we'll go ahead and share it, Peter. Oh, okay. Uh, so there was a uh, there was a uh, director who did a lot of work for the Discovery Channel, and he did a lot of nature documentaries, and he did one of those one he did the original like when animals attack style shows. I yeah. think it was originally called something different. It was like a when when the good pups go bad, when 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 McGruffs get rough. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, Smokey has of- one too many tokies. <laughs> <laughs> so he was at a um a a conference in Jackson Hole uh showing off his huge ass 50 foot great white shark um like a I don't know like mechanical shark uh essentially like uh as sort of a, a shock value thing because at this time there was like there's like serious documentarians right and then in within that camp there's the reputable like uh you know uh, david attenborough kind of uh planet earth group which gets the most notoriety and then uh probably on the more exploitational side of that is like the discovery channel people who like do shark week and they talk about shark attacks and they don't necessarily use the language that most ecologists use up to the minute um so this this guy he met he wanted to make a a single hour long episode on Timothy Treadwell and it would have been a fairly enormous waste of time. He didn't get along with uh, Timothy Treadwell's... You don't want to call her the widow, but it's sort of a question within the movie. Um, Jewel. Um, she's sort of his his ex-girlfriend. She works with him at Grizzly Pe- the Grizzly People Society, and she sort of became his, his last surviving uh, family member. Um, yeah, the, the two friends, they, we'll talk about this. There's, there's some... I don't want to just have a thing where we speculate what's going on with, with them, but there's something off there. Yes. Um, so anyways, uh, Jewel essentially also just wasn't super comfortable with the project um, under 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 this guy's tutelage. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically walked up. He wanted to meet Werner Herzog. So he walked up to Werner Herzog at a uh, like this Jackson Hole convention style thing for yep. yeah, nature filmmakers. And he was like, his hands were covered in salmon oil. And he was like, he's like, uh, hey, you, you look like someone that would know how to get this stuff off my hands. And Werner was like, some lemon juice and vinegar would just would help. You'll be in the grave soon enough. Cut them off. You don't need <laughs> them anymore. It will make an exotic feast for the worms. Um, he he uh, he's yeah. He gave him his sage advice on how to get that, and then they started conversations. And essentially, uh, Werner Herzog stepped in. And he was like, "This is a fairly good opportunity for me to work my craft and turn it into a documentary." So he sort of adapted it from this exploitational, sort of fictionalized version of it into a 
a, a feature length documentary. He kept those guys on as sort of exec producers, but largely he ran off and used the, he used their resources to help comb through the hundred plus hours of footage that Timothy Treadwell shot over the last five years of his last five expedition expeditions he did to Katmai. Yeah. And they started putting all the footage together along with the help of this um already existing sort of documentary crew well and one of the things that's really worth noting about that story is because you almost like watch this and you go if i'm someone who knows timothy treadwell and i agree with timothy treadwell like like jewels and the the grizzly people people and i know anything about warner herzog or i have the ability to look up he might not be the person i want telling the story and ultimately it was that documentarian they hired first who kind of convinced them and based on a lot of timothy treadwell's notes about a how much he had said that if he died he wanted his story told like he won he was shooting this footage not for him to assemble but on the idea that someone else could make this story after he was gone which i think almost completely removes the any sort of charges of exploitation someone's death like because of like this was his plan with this footage and then the other reason they were able to convince jules is that they we'll talk a little bit about his connection to like hollywood and wanting to be an actor is this idea of like hey warner herzog's gonna turn this into a feature film and warner herzog is quite the director and and everyone kind of agreeing who knew timothy that this was kind of his we a dream realized the idea that he would be the star of his own footage of a feature length film by a a well known international director was like was exactly kind of um, what everyone goes well yeah that is what Timothy would want so like it it's it's one of those things where you essentially have because there's such a just a general um i'm gonna say narcissism but not like in a donald trump way but like you know there's a general like narcissism in the performance i think some of that just comes from isolation and using this camera as his only only thing and like him going out to live with the grizzlies because his dream of being a hollywood movie star didn't work that like people were able to say oh actually this is what he wanted and i i believe that i think that like if Timothy Treadwell, from from everything I've read about him, from the stuff in the movie, from like all the different special features I watched a few times when when this movie came out, like I get the sense that this is exactly what he would have wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think Anding was um, the. I don't think he, the the way he went out was necessarily the way he wanted to go. No, no, that's not the fact I mean. that he. Particularly with the fact that his um, his girlfriend also died at the camp, but you're right. Every every you're right. The the, the taking all this footage, making it into something reputable. Um, it was done with the 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 express permission of the executor of his estate, yeah. and he wrote in numerous letters that he wanted um, this 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 film to be made, and he wanted uh, his, his documentary footage to get out there in some capacity, and like you wonder, like he was a few years before YouTube, 
Yeah. You wonder um, <laughs> if that was his ultimate, if that was his ultimate destiny beyond uh, the bear attack is that if he hadn't stayed that late in the season and he, he had just kept doing what he was doing and keeping uh, and, you know, uh, keeping whatever protocols had kept him alive those previous 12 summers, um, if, you know, he was destined to become a guy who's just like posting wild stuff on YouTube like and and in that point like is he was he supposed to be just sort of like a Tiger King kind of guy like yeah. would that be his more of his legacy um or would his legacy uh, over uh, over the years grow like would he become um, would there be other filmmakers to step in and say like yeah yeah you're posting shit on YouTube but like let's actually <laughs> let's, let's actually, actually tell your story let's actually put this together and and as you see throughout the entire documentary like and what Herzog finds so fascinating is that he is assembling this footage with the eye of uh, it being a Hollywood production. Like, he's the actor in his own movie. He makes himself redo takes, try things from a different perspective. This is not just, like, his home movies. It's like, it's like if you were to find, like, my home movies, which I, Peter, I do have, like, an old school video camera just for home movies because I am hashtag dad. Um and, uh, you know, if, like, my kids do something and I was like, all right, yeah, can we take it where you missed the basketball, like, the first time that made me take out the video camera? Because that's going to be better. Like, <laughs> you know, that doesn't exist in the real world. But he, while well, he had, he didn't have any plans to do anything with the footage, and you just think, oh, these are his personal videotapes, he was um, kind of making it, and with the exception of a couple parts that he would throw up on... Or share with the other people at Grizzly People, he or like uh, the classrooms that he's heard. Um, he really wasn't doing all that much with it, and it was the idea of him understanding that there was a legacy that he could create, so that his mission and his story would be told uh, over. I I actually think before we get into the movie more, I want to talk about his mission because I think that's a little bit meaty, and I I do want to get into it. So. I said this at the, at the onset, I think that his mission of protecting bears and conservation and letting people recognize the majesty of nature is a good one. I think, as a lot of people in this movie point out, that he was doing it at a place where it was not needed. This isn't like he's going to... Um, you know, to save the last 10 elephants from from poaching, that poaching was essentially non-existent. They had a healthy bear population. Occasionally it happened, but it actually was pretty rare. And even then, the idea of the protection that he offered from poaching, you're talking about 10, you know, uh, just, just hundreds of thousands of square acres and, you know, thousands of miles of square miles, like the idea that him existing in there stopped poaching was, was misguided. And then I also think he did the thing that um, I have a problem with, with a lot of nature documentarians or whatever you call it. Like he, whether you call it, Disneyfied or simplified nature down to a level that I think is generally dangerous and does not tell the right message. And I think, like, again, his his attempt to stop poaching meant to show how friendly the bears are. And that gives the impression that bears are just friendly creatures or that, like, 
everyone should be an investigator. It's kind of like I, I, I have a real problem too with like again. I'm not going to spike the football about his death, but like that that kind of crocodile hunter style too, where like I'm going to like show how dangerous these things can be by doing dangerous stuff in a way that like of course looks fucking cool as shit to to kids and ultimately ends up hurting the bears and one of the things this the herzog hits home pretty clearly and actually i did some reading did you know that the only two humans killed by bears at least uh between 2005 and before in that area were timothy treadwell and his girlfriend yeah like, yeah, yeah and like they, and to date still like they yeah he, People, uh, that's that's not because it's so remote that no one is around there. There are native tribes that live around there that have lived in, you know, uh, in respectful distance from uh, the bear population and, for and, something like seven thousand years. And even tourists that come there and are very respectful and stuff like that. And also, like as a result, the only bear up there that's ever had to have been hunted and killed because once bears eat people, they start thinking that can be a food source, which is why, unfortunately, you have to put on the only bear up there that's been killed in, like, the last you know, 50, 60 years or whatever, when people started keeping track of that stuff once it became a national park uh, because they killed someone was, was Timothy Treadwell's bear and I, and like I... Like, as I'm watching this movie, Peter, like, you see, like, I I had these types of people that came to my schools and stuff like that. And, like, um, I, I, like, as I'm watching this or, like, even, like, all the different people, like, on Dateline or, uh, you know, that he interviews with that are, that are, like, almost, like, yeah, this is kind of crazy what you're doing. Like, I, I feel like there was a level of irresponsibility of, like this is not the type of guy to have at your school to say how actually bears are super friendly and cool because, and then show footage of you playing with bears. Like it actually sends the exact wrong message about nature where I think it's nature is this fun game thing that leads to entertaining and and fantastical moments that you've always wanted and actually leads to a lot more scrutiny or potential, you know, harm that comes to these animals because, you know, that dumbass kid that watched Crocodile Hunter and tries to pick up a snake and then gets, like, bitten and killed by a snake is the type of thing where all of a sudden the snakes get hunted because people are like, we ought to do something about the rattlesnakes because, like, you know, I I don't want to do the, like, you know, I'm you and I are not, like, the kind of, like, someone saw a video game and killed their you know, ran over someone because they played Grand Theft Auto. So now we have to ban video games. But I do think making nature into um, a soundbite or something that leads to cool, f- cool footage of humans fucking around with stuff, even if they keep saying, quote unquote, I'm an expert, which, by the way. Treadwell was obviously not. He had no ecological yeah. training. His methods were denounced by everybody. pretty much everybody yeah. that has an expertise in bears. It was denounced by the native communities around them. Or like, yeah, the way to coexist with bears is to give them space and they'll give you space. Yeah. <laughs> like all of his methods were essentially, they were reliant on a core part of bear existence. And there's something that like is, is up for debate kind of about whether or not bears can be like 
activated like they they eat a person and all of a sudden like oh they're gonna be out for human blood like that's kind of an old myth that's kind of like an yeah old, uh, yeah i guess i misnomer, but yeah like, it's it's but like they, they they have to go up there because they the reason that they were they had to kill that bear was because as they were trying to perform their duties as park rangers the bear refused to fucking back off yeah um and at that point the park rangers have to kill the bear <laughs> kind of it's kind of six one you know six one half a dozen the other in some cases but like um in the other sense like the the real argument for why timothy survived so long um is is an interesting one it's one i think we will return to later in the episode but like <laughs> Bears don't generally attack, no predator generally attacks anything unless it's going to be a very easy meal. That's why bears yeah. eat a lot of berries. They snatch salmon out of the river stream. They, they, it's why even these massive thousand pound, 1500 pound predators, these massive just killing machines, essentially, um, they still are looking for the easiest, lowest calories to burn meal they can get. Yeah. And and one of the first thing, one of the first people they interview in the documentary is like a helicopter pilot who is responsible for hauling away the mauled remains of Timothy and his girlfriend. Um, he based, his opinion is is similar to what I was referencing earlier. He's like, oh, that guy's a, a dummy, and he's like, yeah, maybe the bears thought he's he says. He says the term mentally. Yeah, retarded. he does. Like, not maybe they say maybe thought he was he was challenged. But like, there's a little bit of there's a, probably a note of truth there that the bears were probably just like, well, I have food right now because it's the part of summer that we have you know copious access to berries. There's tons of fish because of the river runoff. Like, you know, this guy's really weird, and I actually don't quite understand him and know if he's a threat or not. All I know is he's like not going to come and try and eat me right away. Um, so, so I'm going to leave this, this weird unknown, this big variable, because obviously bears don't think that way, the way people's do, people do, but like this big unknown variable that I don't know how much of a fight they're going to put up with. I'll tolerate him as long as he's not um, threatening my cubs or, you know, threatening yeah. my, my meal. Yeah. And I also think a lot of it comes from, this is something I heard a lot about, uh, uh, just having been or lived in Montana and Glacier Park. Like there, you know, obviously there was definitely a time 120 years ago where society as a whole thought that like killing big mean animals was, was, you know, how you get your dick hard, right? Like we had an entire president that we still think is extremely popular who would just go out and like, I got to kill lions, which thankfully is now the type of thing that when we see Trump's kids do it on Instagram, we're like, oh my God, (laughs) like, like it's, it's an it's a way to underline how much of a piece of human scum someone is, right? Where, like, 100 years ago, it was just like, I'm tough, and they're tough, but I was tougher, right? Like, thankfully, we moved beyond that. Um, but, there, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of these species, like bears or wolves and stuff like that, were almost hunted to extinction is a combination of, of uh, toxic masculinity <laughs> and fear. And uh, one of the – a huge bestseller in the late 60s was a somewhat fictionalized account of a true story where two women uh, on the same night in Glacier Park were killed by bears, and, which was rare. Uh, people didn't get killed. There was like this – panic around grizzly bears and that was like a fear that i think still permeated you know 15 years later when i was there because people would talk about that like you just never know 
Like, you know, they would sell Night at the Grizzlies at the the book at the fucking Glacier Park, uh, you know, gift shop. And I, I read the reason why that's so interesting to me is that I did read that, like, you know, by the time Treadwell goes up there in the 90s, we're like in the peak conservation movement, like the 90s, like, uh, you know, we need to protect wildlife and, you know, that, you know, this is like, you know. 15, 20 years after the um, Endangered Species Act and all this stuff. And, like, I can speak from someone who, like, went to elementary school in the in the, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Like, man, like, the amount that we learned about how important protecting wildlife and all these things were was just, uh, in a good way, and pollution and everything else was just constant. Um, which, again, I, I don't mean constant as a bad thing. I think that's a good thing to teach kids about. Um, maybe why my generation, hopefully the next generations is probably a little bit more environmentally conscious than some, than like the boomers or stuff like that. But I, I did read something that his specific mentality, by the time he goes up there, it's, it's that thing that happens where you read Night of the Grizzlies. Who knows if he read Night of the Grizzlies, but he must've been aware of it. And that idea of when he was, you know, 15 or 20, that was a time when that book and that kind of fear of grizzly bears was probably a little bit more present in the culture. And so it's possible that he almost had this thing in his head that he needs to protect these bears because a lot of people are scared of them. But by the time he actually goes up there and starts living among the bears, like he doesn't need to go into a classroom to say, stop killing bears. And as everyone else in the documentary points out, like they're like, hey, no one's killing bears up here that isn't supposed to. Like that isn't. Yeah, supposed- the poaching. The poaching was incredibly low, and yeah. the the legal hunting was keeping the bears at a at a healthy population. They found out that essentially five or six percent of the population could be legally hunted with permits every year, and the bear population would be healthier. Um, because, uh, unfortunately with the nature of man and expansion and, and, on these lands and what we, yeah. the, the, the problems that we've caused in the environment, like we can't just let the bear populations run rampant anymore because of all the other, uh, adverse effects that we've had on the surrounding ecosystem. So the number yeah. they found was you can hunt 6% of these bears every year and you're totally fine. And also like there's very little sign of, of illegal poaching out here. Yeah. Um, so so I do think that's interesting, that idea of, like, he almost got something in his head of something, you know, 15 uh, – an attitude 15, 20 years earlier and then was like, I have to go protect it. But he's almost like, you know, the last man on an island after a war has ended. Like, everyone's like, you don't need to do this because that's really, like, the movie as a whole, it's not him about – you know, say what you will about other, like uh, – uh, like um crocodile hunter type people um he's he's not educating people about bears he his whole 13 years there which is underlined in almost everything he talks about on the on the video is him as a protector of bears and in a way that he believes the park service there is not being and so it is almost like a last man in a war that's ended situation where it's like, hey, yeah, educating people on bears 
would be helpful. If you wanted to teach people about stuff, you know, like you said, there's degrees that you can get. You could join the park service and stuff like that. Sitting out and demanding that no one hurt these bears ever, which is essentially already happening, is is not environmentalism and it's not like a mission and it's not like even an activism in a way that I think checks out. So I, I sorry if this is a little long winded and, and, and maybe not as clear as I want it to be, but I, I guess my big problem is that like, I think it's easy to look at someone like a treadwell and where I think I have a lot of criticism of it. And I know you do Pete too. Peter is like, he wasn't, it's not like he was doing a good thing and was misguided. He was essentially doing nothing except being by bears which is not the same thing as trying to like educate or protect them because there was no threat that really existed for them and there was definitely no threat that he was stopping and his education was essentially around they are so gentle because they're nice to me and no one should kill them, which again wasn't happening. So I think just the yeah, fact he that he, a, was, he had a very um, confused sort of outlook, where he would say, uh, and I'll talk about this a lot, I think uh, later on, but like he would say, in one sense, these bears are dangerous. They'll tear you apart. They can't kill. They can't maim. They can't hurt. <laughs> they can't decapitate. Um, he would always order his his violent verbs in a very funny order that would always make me laugh. That was one yeah. of his quirks. Um, but. Uh, he he would discuss these things and then he would be like, but I'm I'm the um, you know, I, I, I'm the grizzly man. I'm out here. I know how to, to handle that. And then on the flip side, <clears throat> he would say these aren't, you know, violent, vicious killers. They're, you know, they're actually just very powerful beasts that, that are misunderstood. And they're not, you know, they're not going to they're not they're not going to eat you for no reason. Like it, he sort of wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to sell the concept of himself as this sort of Steve Irwin man out on the on the dangerous plains of civilization uh, figure but also on the flip side of it be like but however they're just uh, big cuddly guys and you just got to get along with them and that sort of like naive worldview um, that doesn't allow for just like wild chaotic um, <laughs> wild chaos of nature um, yeah it, that sort of naivety is really like the thing that the movie thrives on because um, it's hard to tell it, it, the times of weakness in, in that, that worldview are really fascinating because there's plenty of moments of him having breakdowns where you're like, so you have respect for the foxes and the, um, the bears but you have a great deep and great hatred for wolves. You've just arbitrarily decided. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and flies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like flies aren't part of the natural ecosystem. No. that Timothy Treadwell is. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like we, like we said, we're not here to make. Well, even the him, bears like, too, there's, right? There's, Sorry. There's like he lambasts very... the bears for eating other bears at times and is very frustrated at them for acting like that. And that's, I guess, like if I'm going to sum up a very long, too long, didn't read point. My point is that I think he gets a lot of credit even today as someone who was a misguided, but, but ultimately someone who was doing good things. And my point is that like he may have been a naturalist and environmentalist adjacent, but as much as I don't really like the crocodile hunter style of, of like educating, it crocodile hunter was done in the or and all those types of versions of that, 
is done under the auspices of, of an expert trying to educate people about different things about the animal in a way that probably makes nature too familiar and seem too safe because he's fine doing it. Timothy Treadfold did none of those things. <laughs> like he wasn't he he wasn't doing any sort of specific environmentalist stuff. Like I said, he was protecting things from a problem that didn't exist and because it's under it's adjacent to things that we think are noble and good like environmentalism like animal protection activism and stuff like that i think he gets lumped into a misguided person who is doing who who is doing good things and i i just i think he's he was definitely well intentioned but also delusional in the way that like he actually wasn't doing any he wasn't doing good poorly. He wasn't doing good at all. Yes. And I think that's a good I think that's a good way to transfer over to uh, the second half of the episode. So, Aaron, do you want to tell us a little bit more about who this Timothy Treadwell guy is in the second I'm, half? I mean normally we take I mean I will. Let's talk more about Grizzly Man. <laughs> Grizzled Man. Oh, the Grizzled Man. That's Jeremiah Johnson, right? Based on the GIF I've seen. Oh, he's extremely grizzled. Um, he was performing live at the Purple Onion. <laughs> Peter! You are all You know what? You know what we got to get away from this bit. That's it can it? be done. It can be done. I, I don't yeah. like it anymore. But here's what we have to decide on camera slash microphone. What's our comeback from break? Do we just go, Peter? Oh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a tagline. God damn it. Okay, go. Uh, Fox is stealing your stuff. That's old hat. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Just um, I wanted to but go now it's, but now unfortunately it has to be around forever. No, no, I, I tried to cancel it. No, <laughs> cancel Stop! culture came for alternate taglines. Oh man, oh, cancel definitely culture. a real thing. Uh, yeah, I heard that if you uh, paint the top of your door frame in lamb's blood, uh, the cancel culture cannot get you. So, uh, Grizzly Man, uh, Aaron. I mean, it's a documentary. I'm not going to tell me the plot. So, Dude, no, give me, give me sort of an overview on what the documentary is and what happened to Timothy. It does a really good, I think, like, um, this is a Herzog style. It's just a documentary in style, too, where it kind of goes and it zooms in on his death. Who's Timothy Treadwell? He's a guy that went and lived, uh, spent 13 summers with the Grizzlies. And he died. It was weird to recontextualize this now that we're 16 years away from when this documentary came out about, like, how close everything was. Like, he died in 2003. This movie comes out in 2005. So, like, it hit me this time in a way that it hasn't before that, like, the interviews that they're conducting with these people, like, it's fucking recent. Like, it's not historical context, which for some reason never, like, clicked with me in the same way, just recognizing that now. This was so much further in the past. But you're getting to meet a few people, the helicopter uh, person who took Timothy Treadwell out, uh, people that he worked with at Grizzly People, uh, his best – one of his uh, good friends in his previous uh, Grizzly days when he wanted to be an actor. 
a guy by the name of Warren, who I definitely want to talk about because there's something going on there. Um, and I love that he's credited as like actor friend. He a hundred percent is trying to use this as his big break 100%. to be in movies, and it's it, and I think. I'm just going to postulate something because it's Herzog. I think Herzog knew it, and it made it so much weirder that he left it in. <laughs> no, I, I think I think this 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 matches very much Herzog's uh, aesthetic, which is that documentaries are in a sense no more real, um, are no more unbiased yeah. than fictional films, and he very much struggled with the idea of like a nonfiction film. Uh, it's just that documentaries use the um, you know, they, they, they use uh, real life events or they use, uh, you know, non-planned, non-scripted sort of footage to, to piece together their story. But the story is really pieced together in, in the editing booth. And so he, he kind of like embraces these people who yeah play to the camera. And um, this guy has this whole he has two whole planned bits about Timothy and he he takes these like really cheesy dramatic pauses like he changes his tone like he, he's like he, doing he like an things. acting reel like he is if you've seen the show Barry and they're you know and the other actors on Barry who are not Barry <laughs> are trying to do their like little monologues that's what it is and he even has like you know the last one is so deeply uncomfortable because he has that stinger where he has like uh you know how people say and he tells this metaphor that I've never heard before. Like, it doesn't disturb the cows. He's like, Timothy never disturbed the cows. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, you wrote this. Like, you had to write. Oh, it's deeply uncomfortable in a way that, like, fits perfectly <laughs> with, with everything that's going on. Because it also really underlines this idea that Timothy felt like society was fake and not worth it. And he wanted to get away from, from it. And this was one of his Specifically friends. Specifically this guy. Yeah, like, like I would rather get eaten by bears than spend one more day with Warren. Um, uh, but yeah, like it kind of it it really does a good job of getting under your skin in a way. But that also underlines, I guess, what Timothy Treadwell was going away from. So we learned throughout the course of the movie that he was um, he was uh, a quote unquote. Um, I'm, I'm saying this because his parents say this like a normal everyday all American uh, kid who uh, went off to college on a diving scholarship, got hooked on marijuana, injured himself, came back. And um, even though marijuana was not allowed in the home that his parents lived in, he still found a way to get it somewhere. And eventually decided that he was going to be an actor. He moved to Hollywood. He has this, like, as it's called in the movie, this Prince Valiant haircut that doesn't make a sense <laughs> in any capacity. Um, but he learned to surf and decided he was going to be an actor. The story goes that he uh, did a couple of, like commercials or local commercials. He did like a, a guest spot on Love Connection and uh, was auditioning for Woody Harrelson's role, a uh, character named Woody, uh, which I guess would have been called Timothy, likely. On Shears, um, after after Coach died, uh, and he apparently he the the claim is that he came in second behind Woody Harrelson, who was also an unknown actor at the time. Um, seeing seeing this, it it seems like it was probably a distant second, but I I don't know. Um, 
Or if it was even second, or that's just a legend that he started to tell because he definitely is is nothing if not self-aggrandizing. So you see <laughs> bits of uh, and like because he was eaten by bears. None of the producers like James Burroughs isn't what what like. Yeah, uh, that never fucking happened. Like no, <laughs> no one wanted to contradict it. I I, I don't know if you looked. It, it, I, it's irrelevant, right? Like, irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant. The point is that he had his Hollywood dream smashed, and also the point is that he was he he was um, like a hardcore alcoholic who then got into harder drugs. At some point, he had a heroin overdose that he barely survived, and then after that, he had like this uh, epiphany that um, that he needed to go live with the bears and protect them. And he decided that what he credits is that um, the bears needed a protector. He couldn't do that if he was, quote unquote, messed up on drugs and alcohol. And so the bears, by by understanding that only he had been chosen to protect them, that he had to get off drugs and alcohol. Now, I, I'm definitely not an expert in the way minds works. I don't want to cast addiction. But one thing that really comes clear as part of this movie is he there's there's a part in this movie where he talks about God shining down on him and liking him so much for how good he's doing and stuff like that. And one thing that, again, I'm not a neurologist. I'm just saying what I've read other people say is that um, that, um, you know, the, the parts of your brain, the pleasure receptors that like activate when you're having a religious experience are similar to the ones that when you're doing drugs. So I think even though it's probably a little bit of armchair psychoanalysis that you can kind of make the, the the thing that like him living among the bears and seeing himself as this knight for the to defend the bears honor gave him those same sort of uh, pleasures that he was deriving from drugs and alcohol um, in I think you could argue in a equally self-destructive ultimately uh, way but though, um, though I will interject yeah. like quickly that like a lot of people's sobriety stories have. I got sober for my kids. I got sober for my wife or my partner. Um, I got sober so that I could do better at work. Like a lot of people's sobriety stories do have a a sort of like an exterior factor that I I don't want to disappoint this 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 uh this particular uh, um, icon in my life. Yeah. For my family and i think that's beautiful that's something that like i i agree yeah anything that like i think uh helps people get uh sober to having a life that's not just like self-destructive is beautiful and wonderful um yeah you're right there's there's something there's something else going on there and it all comes back to like sort of you know <laughs> was he second in line to you know woody harrelson for the cheers uh thing it doesn't particularly matter um, because it's it's part of the story he told, and there's there's verifiable parts of the story that were fake. I think everything though that you just listed when it comes to that stuff is like a is a. I'm not saying like there's you don't need any reason to like stop self destructive behavior, but like thinking of like I you know centering yourself around like realizing that you can't have success in the world that you you want to have like realizing your kids your wife your job whatever it is your art is 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 more important and you are threatened to lose those things if you don't make changes in your life i think 100% agree that is always something to applaud and like a good thing that people see it through that lens I, I see this as a little bit more like someone joining like a, a destructive cult 
in order to get off drugs like you join scientology or something like that just because like he wasn't going hey as i look in my life here's some things or who i see as a person he's like I realized I need to defend the bears from all the people trying to murder them. And I can't do that if I've drank too much. And so I like, I'm going to leave my life like that. That doesn't seem the same thing as like, I can't be a good dad when I'm drunk and I need to stop drinking. It's about the stories. He yeah. Tells, he, he, right? he said, he yeah. saw that yeah. story as his reason his, to get as his reason to quit. And like, yeah. that's, that's good. That's that's really great. Um, yeah. That's 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 uh, you know he he found a path forward. It's just that um, it was throwing himself and unfortunately um, one of his his, his loved ones uh, into harm's way in pursuit of a nondescript, rather naive goal, which was to coexist with bears, uh, quote unquote, to save them. But in reality, like that, that sobriety story. And also like, while we're here, let's talk about the fact that like the description that Jewel gives about his mental illness is that like he was on some sort of antidepressants, something yeah. um, for a period of time. And then he said he, he wanted the highs and the lows again, which is a very common story. Um, I'm not saying it's like, you know, a majority of cases, but it's a very common story with people that um, have been on, um, you know, a lot of antidepressants is that they they wanted more of the spikes. Yeah. Um, or like and, bipolar or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's no one's <laughs> Herzog doesn't do it. So I don't know if I, I, I should. No. Um, but like, you know, you're, you're right. It does hint at a sort of um, bipolar disorder or. Just generalized, you know, depression that he would have these these ups and downs, um, and he uh, he rejected medication. So you're right; he was sort of in the sense that like he got rid of his self medication. As far you know, as far as his his story goes, he got rid of his self medication and he uh, got rid of his you know prescribed medication, and he mm -hmm. saw this existence out with the bears. Uh, as that, and there's a there's kind of this looming question that really is someone who struggled with depression for my entire life. Um, there's kind of this looming question is like, what is Timothy like now? Like, wh what is Timothy like when he's in his off seasons and he's not at schools teaching? Does he fall off the wagon? Is his mood fucky? Or do the do do this those summers away up in Alaska like do they? Do they genuinely like uplift the rest of, of the year for him? Like that's while we're we're looking at this as a character study, that that's a very natural question to ask, right? And we don't really get too much of a sense of it because no. Herzog doesn't get a sense of it. And also all of the people in his life that are close to him, I think are unfortunately in the way, you know, you and I would be if one of our friends got killed by a in a in a you know, an unfortunate um, an unfortunate sort of uh, adventure, a misadventure. Um, you and I wouldn't be unbiased narrators. We'd be like, we'd be, we'd want to feed into the romanticism because that would help us swallow the trauma and yeah. the pain uh, a little bit easier, um, and we would sort of smooth over, you know, the rough cracks um, to to get through it, right? Yeah, agreed. And like a post, and again, I mentioned the recency of when the interviews and the is are conducted. A postscript, like in twenty twenty one, with some of the perspectives of the people close to him, would be would be interesting. I agree that like that that 
you know, he's there from what July to September. How he exists in the re- because we're we're looking at what he documented and. You know, he didn't document that time or or it was that, you know, that stuff for obvious reasons wasn't shared to Herzog. Like you don't get a sense. What what you do get a sense of is in the in the margins, in the little moments, which is like uh, there's an interview with David Letterman that was uh, cut out of this movie for some reason. It was in the theatrical version. It's on like if you watch this on Discovery, it's there. It's not on the DVD version for reasons I'm not 100 percent sure of. Um, but I, Peter and I both watched it where like he's getting the David Letterman treatment, which is both like jokey, but acknowledging the elephant in the room and. Uh, and Timothy does not look well adjusted to that. Like um, he's he's super intense in classrooms, and they note that he 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 did really well in elementary school classrooms because kind of his emotional um, level was was similar to that of children. Like he could just talk, you know, uh, uh, effusively about how wonderful bears were, and that's something that. Uh, without like giving any sort of particular information, which is something that is very compelling to a third grader, but not maybe necessarily to like, you know, high schoolers. Um, and then I think the other thing you get a sense of is like part of the reason that that would ultimately led to his death and that they went back to uh, the grizzly maze, as he calls it, um, at postseason when all the bears that he uh, was familiar with or had familiarity with went to hibernation and other bears from the inner part of uh, the area had moved in that he was unfamiliar with or were not accustomed to him also when they were at their hungriest um, it just is a reference that he had an altercation with the ticket agent um, at the airline about whether his ticket was valid and then decided to basically say fuck it and go back to the woods for a couple weeks so I do think like I think those little moments that you set that you see um and again I'm, I'm saying this with just a trying to pull out the threads of that story that we were talking about not in some sort of like judgmental or clinical way seems to be someone who potentially wasn't who struggled with a lot of those like the to your point that the the two months didn't necessarily rejuvenate him for the next 10 like anyone who like you know you you get that frustrated with a ticket snafu that you side not just i'm going to get another ticket but i'm going to fucking leave the airport and get back to the woods for for two weeks at a time that's dangerous doesn't and put someone else like that doesn't seem to me as someone who's doing well i guess yeah and and there's also um i'm trying to remember if this was from his last year but it was one of, one of his later years there's three three or so incidents uh wherein his paranoia gets very arced oh Um, one is that uh there's photographers all they're doing is coming in and taking nature photography and they're pulling up their boat taking photos they're not poachers they're not even licensed hunters coming up taking photos they don't have guns yeah yeah like one of the guys and one of the guys is throwing rocks at at the bear to spook it off um, a bear that is getting very close to people possibly because it's gotten so used to Timothy and Timothy yeah. is crying, holding the camera uh, about the fact that this bear is getting pegged with, with some rocks. Um, and 
the there it's a very complicated interaction because like the guy i don't know if those guys necessarily need to be in there taking photos i don't know what their purposes are um but like i you know uh <laughs> in a in a weird sense like the past couple times i've watched this movie i've seen this movie a bunch of times the past couple <laughs> times i've watched this movie i've been like are those guys throwing rocks at the bear better for the bears than timothy treadwell is at least they know to be alert i mean that's a point that's made throughout the documentary is that like you're also doing the bears a disservice because you're telling them that people are safe they've never been this close to a person people don't get this close to them and the ones that they do are going oh he's tickling me or like he's waving hi to me and even if the bears mean no harm if you're to walk up to someone that close because the bear's trying to say hi people panic and can kill bears and and that like teaching the bears that humans are safe it's not even necessarily because they're unsafe but like you know peter if like if we were the type of people that had guns which we don't but um and we're up there in the alaska wilderness and like i was there with my family and a bear came that close like to me and my family because he thinks this is going to be another timothy and he's going to scratch my nose i wouldn't know that yeah right and like i would assume that, this i would assume this bear is is stress testing me yeah he's or, not going away like i that he's supposed to he's not he's not keeping that boundary and then he also in that moment that you described he also has this paranoid like they write on a log hi timothy which he's a local celebrity at this point right this is this is 2002 or three this is like when everyone knows who he is and he's also sitting there <laughs> quote unquote camouflage but everyone can see him they have like focus lens and he's throwing he's rocks and shouting at them and so they leave him a note with a smiley face and he goes off on a you know who knows how long the unedited ramp of like this is creepy they're gonna I, it's not like they're saying they're gonna fucking come and chop off my head but what else am I supposed like there's clearly some bouts of some severe paranoia in a way that like but again you you also are talking about someone who for with the exception of the last two summers when amy was there uh with 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 him like you're talking about someone who like you know is sitting there for for three months talking to himself like and and that's actually so let's uh I'll, I'll just say the end. So it does eventually circle back to the conditions. Famously, there's no um, there's no actual video of the bears uh, eating um, Timothy and Amy, um, but there is audio. The cap um, was the, on, or the cap was, was on. The, some combination of the cap was on, and it was in the bag. Yeah, and uh, but that. Herzog is a smart enough filmmaker to understand like he very much does not want this to be an exploitation movie. And so even though he plays himself listening to it and then letting Jules listen to it, he says to destroy it and, you know, did not put it on um, on on camera. And then you just see a lot of like sections that Herzog is doing. Like, here's all this like despite what he's doing here's all this fantastic nature footage here's kind of a look at different parts of the way that timothy treadwell saw himself at various times here's a look at his interactions with the with the bears and stuff like that that you see and so i do think you get a very good sense of at least the persona that he's putting on on these videos which does actually get me to like the thing that like it that I want to talk about, which is it's very hard not to watch this movie 
and feel a level of embarrassment. I, I feel a sort of um, beautiful, beautiful pity where I'm like, I, 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 I want to help this person, but I feel very ba- and I feel very, very bad that they're um, I almost said very bad. Um, <laughs> I feel very bad for that's Timothy the other guy. Um, that's, the, that's the into the wild guy. He felt very bad. <laughs> well, Timothy, Timothy Trouble also felt very bad, um, <laughs> but I, I feel I feel very bad for him. They both died um, of berries. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> They're on the same level as some guy who had a heart attack in a Barry's boot camp class. Yep. Um, <laughs> just because the pun unites them. Um, but yeah, th- I feel I feel very bad for him in a sort of uh, uh, like a piteous way, which makes me you know also feel bad in a secondary way, which is that like I want I want this person to. Um, have been able to live out his sort of ecological dreams as this sort of naturalist, but under the the review of somebody who actually understands these animals and like knows how to draw proper boundaries, but it, that's not that's not Timothy Treadwell. Like his his boundaries were established, and he talked very often, including in that Letterman clip. There's this, this really stunning moment when David Letterman at the end of the clip goes like. So you're probably going to get eaten, huh? And then Timothy's face, well, the audience is laughing and Timothy's face just freezes in a sort of pained look. And it's very painful to watch because yeah. he hates to be laughed at. And, and he shouldn't he shouldn't be laughed at. This isn't me talking shit about David Letterman because, you know, in a sense, David Letterman is right, right? Like he's like, you're risking fish. yeah ele- elephant in the there, room and he, he ended up being he ended up being fact it's almost like uh the the, the big Lebowski thing where he's like you're not wrong walter you're just an you're asshole. asshole like he ended up being literally correct so it's hard to to say no but i also think you can't want to be laughed at you don't want to be made to be yeah. a joke he yeah. he felt like he was a warrior for these animals and even though he wasn't like i don't know how to make space there because like <laughs> You can't really rescue Timothy Treadwell without also ruining Timothy Treadwell. Well, that's the whole thing that's so, like, frustrating is that, like, you have – like, in watching those videos, what I mean by, like, secondhand embarrassment is that, like, at some level you recognize that you're watching someone's private moments at a, at a time that, like, he is just spouting uh, nonsense, right? Like, he is just – he's by himself. He's thinking about things. There's not – um. There's not thought to it. Like, you and I know each other well and are having a conversation. We don't release these things unedited because there is just a lot of uh, random stuff that, like, doesn't fit in a podcast that's going to get consumed by other people, right? But, like, and that that would be... Unfortunately, we have to filter this through our ego. Now, imagine, like, we had no intention of releasing this and it's just us... Every couple nights coming down here and talking to ourselves as our only means of, like human interaction right because he did this even though there's no other humans there it is him interpreting someone who would be seeing this and so you see all these like very vulnerable moments of him both recognizing that someone could see this and also just trying to talk about something that he's thinking in the moment without any import right so a really good example of that is him you know, kind of pining to himself about why he doesn't have a girlfriend before all the Amy stuff. And, like, you can't help but feel a little bit of secondhand embarrassment about it because here's him just kind of doing two things at once. One, talking about why 
you know, girls don't like him in a way that feels like the kind of internal monologue that all of us have had in our life when we feel like we um, want to be in a relationship or want to have some sort of romantic or sexual human interaction that's not happening. But he's also recognizing that he's shooting this videos for a way that um, people could consume at some point, even if it like probably feels a million miles away when he's out there in the wilderness by himself for two months. He also like fundamentally recognizes that. Right. So it's him having this private moment of talking to himself about why girls don't like him while also still bragging to himself about how good he is in bed and stuff like that, because he he like fundamentally recognizes like he has to still make sure he's telling the story about himself that's that's important and and like it's very it's very proto youtube because he's shooting all these camera stuff uh, all these camera moments uh like selfie style like pointing the camera at himself on a tripod or just turning it around yeah i think the thing with i think what really separates that from youtube is that youtube whether you even if you're someone who expects 10 people to watch it, if you're lucky, YouTube has an immediacy. You know that this thing that you're doing isn't just going to be private. You're going to go post your confessional online, right? And that has its own level of like, you know, eighth grade is, is so much about that. It's like people taking – making private confessionals with the auspices of actually being a public like statement or something like that. This is this feels different in the sense that there there's a recognition that someone could see this at some point, and so he has to be cognizant of that. But it's not the kind of like I'm going to go post this online, and I know some some people. Maybe it's just one kid from my class who he's my best friend. He watches all my videos. Like he he's aware of the future of this being something that someone could see without like a an actual endpoint or a potentially no endpoint. So. I, I just I find that it just leads to these fascinating things where it does feel like truly, you know, at a vulnerable point or in a part that you're very lonely talking to yourself, but then also like snapping back and recognizing like, well, fuck, I don't want to imply I'm shitty in bed if someone could see this someday in a, in a way that in a way that does feel false if you were just talking to yourself like right like when you Peter, you've had an internal monologue about why don't people like me or girls like me or something at some point in your life. I mean, I was definitely younger than Timothy Treadwell was, but but like I had those monologues. I didn't constantly remind myself about how good my sexual prowess is or other compliments to myself because you just tend to not think that way. But like he has to, it's, it's, it's just fascinating the way he snaps back into recognizing that someone could see this and he has to still make sure he's telling his own story of self mythologizing which is like which is the like the underlying theme of his videos are making sure that he is uh that people understand how great he is that's why the movie is so complicated is because those moments of true vulnerability like everybody can see themselves in however maybe it's a generational thing like you and I are not as extremely online as um, people of the next generation are. Like, I um, have never posted a selfie video on Instagram uh, of me, like, having a conversation about something. But, like... I don't think I've um, ever posted a selfie. I don't even use oh, Instagram. 
I posted selfie stills on Instagram. So maybe I'm, you know, that that shows our age difference, but I've never posted a selfie video where I'm talking about um, a political issue or a neighborhood issue or a new recipe I'm working on or whatever. I, I don't mean to diminish the stuff. That stuff for me can be very cringy um, because it... It is so vulnerable. It is so naked. It's 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 a level of self confidence I don't have to just be unedited live on live on on the internet like that. Um, but like that way that he self self edits and he corrects course on what is essentially just like a, a free forming thought. Yeah, rant. Him, him talking to himself while he's walking around. So yeah, like the, the the form and structure was intended as sort of a video diary. The form and structure was intended as a serious documentary effort to talk about himself as an ecological warrior. Um, the many of the videos include self diaries, which end up resembling Instagram selfie videos, and I don't knock any of those individually as formats, but. Um, the further you get down the line, the closer you get to the sort of like cringy vulnerability that can be very uncomfortable to watch. And uh, some of that is because of the truth of it. And some of that is because of the inherent um, uh, uh, facade that it puts on where like he's, he's talking very openly and you're connecting with him. And then all of a sudden he's like redirecting to realize the camera's there. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. When Herzog asked Jules, like, do you consider yourself like your widow because he left everything to you and, you know, and you're from this thing. And she, like, does this, like, genuine laugh at the concept of, like, her being married or being considered a widow and then, like, remembers that she's on camera and gets super serious and is like, yeah, no, I, I would. I would consider – that that's basically what I am like, and it's that kind of thing of like you see the genuine human reaction with that concept being hilarious, and then recognizing that she that I'm on camera to talk about Timothy Treadwell, and he just asked me if I consider this, and oh yeah, probably like she's processing that it probably looks better if she is says that, even though I I don't think Herzog was trying to lead her to that. I think it was just a genuine question, but Herzog's also smart enough to recognize what she just did. And like, there's a reason why Herzog is putting that part in the documentary. Yes. Yes. Um, and he's, he's leaving that in because like Herzog, ultimately Timothy Treadwell is telling a, a rather artificial version of his own story or a, a version of a story that doesn't really gel with uh, how people would accept it. Um, but all of it, just like the actor, um, just yeah. like that very strange coroner. Um, oh, my God. I said, uh, like, if Stuart Gordon was still alive, like, he should cast him right now as a bit. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that cor- they're all but essentially they're all um, they're all telling their story and they're all realizing the camera is there. And there's kind of and, and, and to Herzog's point, like once you realize the camera's there, you can't forget the camera's there. Um, <laughs> you're going to play to the camera. And there's a coroner who in i'm sure this is a very nice man but in every single fight well he might not he, he he might also be this awkward in real life there's a reason some people go to alaska to disappear um he, i also like if you've ever like peter you and i have done film stuff and, and like are aware of a lot of stuff like that and like 
probably at least are aware from like even special features like how to be natural on film. I I was just reminded of like recording a promo for a conference with one of my coworkers last year and like it is amazing like the amount of people did you watch news radio? A little bit, yeah. There's this hilarious episode where every time Stephen Root's character uh, Jimmy James is like being recorded for an interview on on the radio, that he's like, yeah, 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 like yeah, blah 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 blah. I am in the, the like he starts talking like he'll talk normal, and then the second he's the the on air sign is on, he starts going, yes, my name is Jimmy James. Like he just can't get out of that and this movie is is filled with people that just don't know what to do with a camera on them and um and uh and or like or think they're supposed to be like this and probably think they're supposed to be like this a little bit from the thing that like kind of clicked with me this time is that I think a lot of these people, like not like Warren, who obviously wanted to be, who make sure that he's credited as actor, um, <laughs> friend, comma actor, um, which I think actually underlines how much. Like if they wouldn't have said actor, I would have thought this guy's off. And then because they have actor under his name, I'm like, oh, I this guy is trying to make this an audition reel that he can send to people. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of the people, like, probably know about acting from Timothy Treadwell's videos and the type of things that they would see because they were friends with them. And so, like, I wonder if that's part of it. Why no one in this movie knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, that might be part of it. I didn't think about that angle that, like, Timothy Treadwell was a performer and he was constantly putting on a performance. He was constantly stoking up his own ego. Yeah. And, and people himself. knew him in real life. They Then they saw how he was in the videos and are, like, going into the, this is how I should be in the videos because I this is what I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, these are all people that are kind of in, in the shadow of Timothy Treadwell and kind of like it. Like they, they, they fed, they, they not only fed into his sense of stardom, oh, but they yeah. also um, ate, um, like they also, they fed into it, but they also like ate a, a big meal when the time came. And like, I do not think Jewel is a bad person. I don't think no. there's a woman who's holding all of his gear over the winter. So essentially there was a woman who's just like all of his gear, his drums full of food so the bears can't get into it. His tents, his fucking clothing, all the, all the, all the winter shit that you need to survive in, in, in Alaska. All of that was uh, kept in a, in a woman's um, garage essentially for, you know, nine or 10 months of the year. She was, uh, I don't think she's a bad person, but all of them are sort of still starstruck by this guy who, while not a con man, he was just like somebody who had a rather inflated sense of self and um, people saw that inflated sense of self and decided to um, continue to inflate that. Yeah, I think that's that's right because, I mean, Herzog calls him out directly. So there's a there's a scene where he does a take and he's really hyped up about the, the park service and and how essentially he's the lone gunman trying to uh or lone not gunman trying to not shoot the bears and he go he keeps taking all these takes that end up like losing control where he just starts going and then fuck you and it's like this 
It's also this like weird moment because even when he's like, and fuck you, it reminds me so much of like when you're a fifth grader and you're hanging out with people and you start going, yeah, fucking shit, man. Like there's there you have to like figure out how to swear in a way that doesn't sound like you um, understand uh, in a way that you <laughs> that you understand that like swear words aren't actually magic things that are going to make God come down and say, please stop doing that. <laughs> like, you know, like they, we talked just... about this recently for the blade episode. Yeah. There's a way that teenagers swear and there's a way that like adults swear. They just put put a little bit too much sauce on the on the on the word, right? Like if every time I said, Yeah, that was fucking stupid, I'm like, that is fuck or wait, hold on, I went too hard on that. Because I've got so excited to do it, but like, that is fucking stupid. Like it's uh it's how everyone swears in Wet Hot American Summer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're all supposed to be playing teenagers. Yeah. So so they're 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 playing up the immaturity of it, um, yeah. and like, Timothy and the taboo Treadwell, nature of it. Yeah, and Timothy Treadwell is someone who is just like uh, kind of a, a very fascinating relationship with swearing. Where <laughs> there's a sequence where he's talking about oh there's this God. rather vicious but also Fight. beautiful sequence of two bears fighting, and Tim is inadvisably close to these two fucking bears, right? Um, and he is talking about how one bear during the fight is just shitting and it's just yeah. like it's all it's actually all perfectly part of the, the 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 big mix of what this movie's point is that like nature doesn't really fall into a uh, anthropomorphic view of how creatures should react like in the middle of the fight the bear just starts shitting like that's not something i would do in the middle of a fight but like, you know, it's it's just it's how wild animals it's how they do it. And he uses four four or so different euphemisms for taking a shit <laughs> in a 20 second period. And that's like his relationship with swearing is so funny because he'll be like, oh, get back here, you motherfucker, talking about a fox. And then 20 yeah. seconds later, be like, gosh, darn it. Like, I think part of that is because he knows that he shows clips of this for kids, Pete. Yes. Yes. I think I that is, I think, the easiest. I think that's the easiest explanation for me is that like yeah. that's this explanation that makes the most sense. And I'm chewing on it is that he's like, oh, well, this needs to know, go he's to like an a audience. Kid, he knows he has to be a kid performer. And like that's also, Steve Irwin doesn't go like, oh, that that snake's a real piece of shit. I'll fucking hate that snake. <laughs> oh, you really bit me. Oh, that was worse oh, than fucking oh, your mother on Christmas oh, morning. <laughs> oh, fuck. I wanted to go fucking pancakes after this. I didn't want to go get the Annie venom. I mean, I mean, Australians would probably just like drop the C word at the drop of a hat if it wasn't for <laughs> kids, right? Uh, but yeah, there's, there is a, that fight has my favorite thing because he's like, wow, crazy. Look at these fucking track marks. Then he goes, it was such an intense fight because he names all the bears and this is just like you know uh, uh um a ki- you know kismet or something what that bear's name that he had already previously named who pooped during the fight he's like oh oh and it, it was so intense sergeant brown did a number two in the middle of the fight <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking about like a, a, a video a number two he, they call him poop, the bear pooping <laughs> and his name is sergeant brown 
and you're talking about a clip wherein two animals look like they are going to tear each other's fucking jugulars for, out. For five minutes, it just goes on and on. He's like, Fur is oh. flying. They're tearing at each other's ears. One of them is literally like drooling because he got his yeah. own fucking face so fucked up and, and he's like got such a bloodlust in him. And he's like, well, Sergeant Brown did a number two. It was so intense, Sergeant Brown did a number two in the middle of the fight. It's like something like, so I, this is such a deep cut, maybe not for us, unfortunately, but like uh, my my daughter's back on her full house kick and, you know, Joey has that show for a while where he has the woodchuck puppet. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it just about. seems like something that like he would say like, <laughs> like like joey gladstone as his ranger joe character is like well sergeant brown did a number two during that fight it's like what (laughs) yeah he does he does have like a little bit of you're right he does have a little bit of a late 80s early 90s comic yeah comic approach to his jokes which means it's not funny but he just uses like a goofy turn of phrase um, yep. which makes it funny in the context of two bears looking like they're going to fucking rip each I other's know. heads off. I know. Uh, so he, um, the other thing before we get past completely the actor part of this, there is a great part where like, it almost feels like a, a Herzog Easter egg. Cause I definitely didn't get it in 2005. This was my first Herzog movie. And then I became pretty obsessed after that. But, um, he uh he like basically does like he doesn't say klaus kinski but i love that part where he's like swearing and going on and on about the the park service stuff like that he's like now the uh the director has lost control of his actor uh something that uh i have seen many times on a film set and he is just a wild-eyed man yelling at anything that he can it's like, which again, not a reference I got, um, but I suppose if you saw this in 2005 and uh, had seen uh, or were aware of who Werner Herzog was, which I was not, no. um, uh, like now it's so funny. He's like, he's like, yes, I, I just want a part where he's like, yes, Klaus Kinski, you may be dead, <laughs> but I still have a lot. <laughs> lot of lot of things I need to say about it because what I'm saying is this madman who ultimately was eaten by bears. You are like him. <laughs> Fuck you, ghost. <laughs> Fuck you, ghost of Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Come and haunt my ass. You were like you were like uh having uh uh crazed Timothy Treadwell all the time. But somehow, uh, much, much worse. <laughs> the only kinship that I see in the bear is that I wish that you were there in place of Timothy Treadwell. And that I was the bear so that I could tear out your intestines and behead you myself, Klaus Kinski. Fuck you, you stupid fucking ghost. <laughs> when, when Timothy looks into the bear's eyes... He sees uh, a human-type companion. I see nothing but an inhuman Klaus Kinski-like monster. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a it, like there is a it's just funny to be like like that much i was like it's like a fucking like herzog easter egg he put in like i know i have so, seen an actor like he he might as well just say klaus kinski this guy reminds me of klaus kinski a little bit yeah <laughs> like, like this reminds me of an old friend an old friend who is also mentally unstable (laughs) (laughs) cuts to just random scenes from burden of dreams (laughs) but like okay so uh an interesting thing about that moment so uh the moment is uh timothy treadwell jumping back to a thing i was talking about maybe 20 minutes ago timothy treadwell has a few moments where he is clearly showing that even on these even on these expeditions he is losing connection with reality and the first moment was him talking about those those photographers being poachers oh, yeah. and that sending him off in a rant. And the next part is he's really mad at the National Park Service despite <laughs> spending years and years working with them as well. Um, uh, Jewel, who is the executive of his, his estate, controls all of his footage. She was uh, There's some debate going on um, about how involved she was in the editing process. But one thing she put down is like, you absolutely cannot put in the – he calls uh, Timothy Treadwell calls out the individual names yeah. of different national parks employees that he wants to go after, and this is clearly him in some sort of I, I I don't feel totally comfortable using this term, but like a manic state. Like he's he's in a he's in a moment where he just can't stop. His rage will not stop. He's just going and going, and his paranoia will not stop. And it's like he just desperately needs help, but he's not getting it. And Timothy essentially calls out two national park employees with the or a few national park employees with the express purpose of calling them out as like enemies of ecology and yeah. maybe you know maybe even like sending targeted harassment at them though this is kind of before the era where you yeah. just do that with a tweet and <clears throat> they uh the the film yeah how much would you not want to see like that version in 2021 twitter like timothy treadwell cancels two national park rangers oh yeah absolutely the fuck not like also park rangers do not get paid enough as is to be taken on death threats so also his um, expectations i think are for them to constantly be flying over with helicopters yelling don't shoot the bears oh yeah he, he has this he has this weird he has this weird uh expectation he said they only flew over twice in two months but also Every time that a plane or a boat comes by, he gets pissed because it disturbs his sense of nature. And also, um, uh, they have been successful because they nothing's been poached. Yeah, just factually inaccurate. But anyways, yeah. he calls out these employees in an, in an interesting moment where um, Herzog says, we will not, you know, say the names of these employees. Part of that was because Jewel behind the scenes stepped in and said, I still work with these people. Can you please not burn this bridge? Like... Yeah, like, like they already understand that Grizzly People is like used to be Tim's organization, but like I still work with these people. Can we? Can we? Can we not include this? And that and Herzog and her apparently had a, an argument about this. So, but in the final film, it seems like it's Herzog's decision to not include their names, and like it seems like such a fucking obvious decision to not pull in two people drag two people's names through the dirt when a man is clearly unwell like i i won't use any other terminology for it but like he's clearly just unwell and like is just lashing out at yeah what he sees as authority figures 
Yeah, in a moment of, like, nothing happening, right? Like, it's not like anything even uh, triggers the moment. He just is, like, he's he's wrapping up for the year and just decides to, like, let his rage out about, you know, the fact that those guys came and wrote Hi, Tim, on a log and the Park Service isn't there. But, it, like you said, he doesn't want the Park Service there and he's hiding from the Park Service and, and all these other kind of things. I did read about, like... Uh, there's some other moments, I guess, that like Herzog had to modify his narrative slightly to appease the use of the footage um, that wasn't called out specifically. So there definitely was like, again, I I think there is a hesitancy on Jules' behalf to participate. We even see that when they dump part of the ashes, right? Like she seems like she wants out of that moment in a way that I feel a little bit uncomfortable with like um Mm -hmm. uh it feels like she feels like you know it's the whole thing even going back to laughing like it it feels if if i'm going this is just random speculation which i probably shouldn't do but i would just say it feels like there's something between their relationship that is going on that she hasn't fully processed which is always fair uh and a level of frustration Maybe with some of those things that she said she didn't want included in the in the film, and she feels like she's participating out of um, an obligation to something, but that she doesn't really want to be there and doesn't know how to react. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it it gives the impression that something is off in a way that I that probably. Um, isn't totally accurate, but it is just this thing of like the the ultimate impression I think it gives is that this person is being fake, and I think that's not quite it, but that's the impression that it leaves, right? Yeah, yeah. There's um, <laughs> because there's sort of like a beautiful artificiality that sometimes people need, like the protection of artificiality to talk about real things. Yeah. Um, but then there's some stuff that um is is just it, it just feels fakey bullshit that you know, yeah you, you can't get around that right so and the grizzly so uh can we talk about grizzly people for two minutes i, I did no research on the actual org because i assumed it was all just the school programs so it still exists today as like a GeoCities level website where you can donate 35 dollars to get eight pictures that timothy treadwell took with no um, understanding of, like, what the money goes to. It's, like, three tabs. It says to save the bears, to preserve Timothy Treadwell's legacy. Um, I, I like, as far as I could tell when I look back and, like, this, this website was clearly designed 10 to 15 years ago to begin with. So, I don't know how much of this is, like done I, it feels like the type of thing that if i like had f- another account i wasn't worried about getting stolen peter i would just try to give 35 dollars to see if like it's connected to anything today like would i get anything does anyone monitor this um if we had a hundred thousand dollar patreon account i would you know, <laughs> yeah. check some check some bucks into that research to see yeah because the whole thing was odd and like there's no material right like you would think at some point there was a pamphlet or like something that they did i do think that you're you're right like it was just like a when you call to book timothy treadwell to go to your school which you didn't take money for you call you don't call timothy treadwell you call grizzly people his organization which was essentially like him and jewels so i 
Yeah, I, that's what I think it is. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like, I just it, it's clearly not listed as an actual charity, right? Like, you don't no. don't have to. I don't have to Google that. Um, there's a lot of upkeep that's that is part of being an actual charity. And I also like once Timothy died, their public face is gone she's still using photography of his to promote his legacy like it's it's an it's an interesting idea to you know carry on someone's legacy after their tie but like if the mission statement of your charity or your ecological group was never that well founded in the first place like what is the stated purpose after all of the major power players are gone well, and also, you know, to our point earlier about, like, what his mission was, like, what was his mission? Like, what what was he doing besides promoting don't kill these bears up here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I feel like I can probably head towards final thoughts here because I feel like my final thoughts are going to be all in that kind of camp. Um, pun intended. I think even Herzog is just kind of awed by what he's seeing. Is all the stuff with the fox? Yeah, so he he uh you know this is this is also sort of a complicated thing because Treadwell purposefully when he moved into the Grizzly Maze, which is um an area a very dense piece of, of foliage that um bear the bears live in that uh kind of you know it's a little bit less safe because it's harder to actually notify yourself when you're coming up to the bears but also it sounds like timothy did not do a whole lot of that uh he camped right between two fox dens so he kind of forced interaction with them but also foxes are very curious and playful in a way that like you know certain certain sort of uh predators are not um and foxes, they're they're like a canine. Like they they're not dogs. They're not domesticated dogs. That you could never say that. But like they they are willing to like perform some sort of functions if they think that like you're gonna give them food. Um, yeah, foxes. I, I'm sure they have them all throughout Minnesota. They're they're all throughout Wisconsin. Like they're very curious, interesting. I I literally just saw one as close as I've ever been to one. Uh, this last weekend, I went up to a cabin in like uh, about an hour east or hour west of the Twin Cities, and there was a fox crossing the the road, and I had to literally slow down my car to let it go. So. They're so like beautiful and strange. They are because they're so limber and they're but they're like fiery red. Like if the it was the length right, of the so pretty. Yeah, it was, and it was so weird to see like oh because it was like it was the length of like one lane of traffic, which just felt like insanely longer than I was expecting. And and they can, they're like twenty pounds or something. Like yeah, they weigh they weigh nothing. They're tiny. It's all just like a, a it's all appearance and show. It's, it's all length. Yeah, yeah, no girth. Um, yeah, no, they're they're not girthy. Uh, they ain't no. they ain't girthy dogs. No, they're 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 lanky dogs. But the fox thing is like it really speaks to his sort of naivete that he's like, oh, they're my little friends. They're my they're my company, and then they'll come and like they'll play with his hat or whatever, and then they'll steal his hat, and he gets so mad about it. But it's like, yeah, man, you're you're playing games with them. They're playing keep away with you now. And he gets so fucking pissed about it. And I'm like, you just had a genuine interaction with a Fox. Like it's not that it wants the hat. It's that the hat is salty and tastes like sweat and it's a fun toy for them. And now it's like, 
better chase me if you want it back because it's yeah. a fox and it's now thinking that you're playing on the same terms as a fox. Um, it's 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 a it's a beautiful, funny comic moment in the middle of the movie, but it also is very revealing to like. Treadwell's state of of mind and there's a moment late in the movie when there's a particularly bad summer for the berries and it's a dry summer um so there's not as much uh, trouts coming through and he sort of references that um the foxes are dying uh because wolves are hunting them um and he fucking hates the wolves apparently like i was referencing hates those wolves wolves have just as much place as the foxes and the bears so i don't really know what he's doing there and then um he it does feel it does feel a little bit like like once again like kid level peer group understanding like you know what jocks don't want to include me (laughs) (laughs) i don't like the jocks how about that it's it's because the the fox the the wolves are keeping their their good safe distance from him um because they're the right level of not curious and the right level of (laughs) Of, of, intelligent of, of intelligent yeah. and wolves are beautiful wonderful creatures that have been hunted out of existence in a lot of parts of of the world and like those are animals that actually need protection particularly in like montana wyoming area because they yeah. get hunted because people are so concerned about like making sure there's enough elk population for their hunting season right and like jumping back to the foxes there's a moment where a fox was eaten partially by wolves and he's, he's so sad about it but like he doesn't the the circle of life and these these feeding cycles don't really connect with him. They don't click. Yeah, he's not uh, a researcher. No, he he's well, no, he's he, did, he doesn't get it, and he did, like he doesn't like uh, like. There's that part where Herzog jumps in and is like, "Hey, like this is why the bears are doing X thing, and you are like a child getting mad at the bears for like, like he's like, don't eat your young. Oh God, look at this, look at this. They're eating their babies. Don't eat your babies. And they're like, yeah, Melissa well, Melissa is eating her babies. I know. Alyssa, stop eating your babies. And it's like, that is a moment near the end of the film that you just, and Herzog is, of course, saying, like, hey, here's why they do that. Like, if you claim to love nature and claim to, like, want it to go untouched, part of nature, as horrific as it as it seems to, like, us, is, like, when there's a drought and they can't eat, they're going to die. They don't have the same level, like... Um, I need to protect my babies. They see it as like, well, under the circumstances, you are now sustenance for me. And you railing against that or get frustrating at your, getting frustrated at your bear friend for it is exactly the opposite of what you claim to be doing. But one of the things I really like about yeah, savaging is a savaging is a part of gorillas. Yeah. It's a part of chimps. It's a part of wolf populations. It's a part of it's it's a part of all sort of animal populations. It's part of the reason we still have these animals is because during tough times they know to um, pull back on expanding the reproduction of the species and to actually like to to maybe park there wait for times to be better and then try and have kids again yeah because it's it's from their from like from their perspective even that's the wrong terminology but from like from like evolutionary perspective without the idea of like consciousness and like society and civilization and stuff like that you're right it's about i expand uh, my survival, which I do through procreation. But if I'm going to die, I can't like my survival is in jeopardy. And so like that kind of that's how it exists in nature. Like it's about survival. Procreation is part of an animal's or survival. 
but when faced between the two, it's not like it's not like they're making a moral or an ethical choice because those concepts don't exist. And you know, to the thing we've been talking about this whole time, he has a good inclination to protect the bears, but he doesn't understand much about the bears besides going, people shouldn't shoot these things. And that's that's ultimately like not helpful. But then, you know, to your point, Peter, um, about why he set up camp between the two fox dens, though, like even knowing all that stuff, it is hard not to get like emotionally emotionally touched by like um the part where he's videotaping the bear and like the fox essentially comes up seemingly just to introduce timothy to its babies like you know like he had never met those babies before there's a bear in the background and i think I think, you know, if I'm going to go towards my final thoughts, I think that moment and like how it's almost impossible to not in that moment go, oh, my God, like this is the world that I want to live in. This fox, like there's this amazing moment in nature with a bear close by. Everything is gorgeous. And then out of nowhere, a fox comes and says, like, hey, I want you to meet my kids because we've been pretty cool for a while. And like, how can you not see that and go? This is what I want to exist. And I think Grizzly Man's genius is without a Herzog at the helm, you have, especially this close to her, uh, to Treadwell's death, I think it's easy to let those moments exist in a vacuum where you look at that and you go, man, this Timothy Treadwell had the life. He had a fox friend. The only person I know had a fox friend is the fox and the hound. Or the hound from the aforementioned Fox and the Frown. And even they had fights later in life related to bears. Um, and instead, like, Herzog doesn't deny the the amazingness of the scene. Like, he calls it, like, a miracle, which is, um, I don't think, is likely not a term that, or a concept that a Herzog just throws around in hyperbole. Like, I think he literally means like the, the he calls it like the miraculous nature of cinema that is able to produce these moments, these unexpected moments of like a fox coming out of the frame to introduce um, his kids to Timothy Treadwell. Um, but like the reason why this movie's so good is it takes those moments, acknowledges acknowledges them for the um for the uh amazingness that they are without trying to minimize it or to even give some sort of scientific explanation or rational explanation which is going on like maybe that fox wanted him to to feed his kids like i'm sure there was a practical fox related reason for that fox doing that in the moment that wasn't like meet your grandpa kids but you you can also just recognize the beauty of the moment. Yeah, and this moment of summer where like yeah. the bear the bear also is barely look he's barely looking at these foxes <laughs> as a source of food, even though yeah. you know like <laughs> they're he's not desperate enough to go after another predator. A lot, yeah, I mean level sam- salmon are all girth. Yeah, they're all fat. They're all fatty meat. Yeah. It's really good calories, but like a, a fox is just like. It's a big old. It's like a hairball and a drumstick. What are you? What are you going to do with that? But the, everyone is kind of in harmony because it seems like it was a, a fortuitous summer. You know, the the berries were out and the fish were flowing and fucking like 
the, the animals were happy enough yeah. to not even like somewhat question Timothy in that moment. Well, exactly. And so like why this movie's so good is it lets those moments exist as they like as just something that you can appreciate as a human who maybe wants a world that's more of that idea of like this nature being an actual harmony. And what Herzog is able to show is that those moments don't not exist. And those moments are not awe-inspiring, but that nature as a whole, despite what Timothy Treadwell wanted to believe to his core, is not like that. And those moments almost exist to fool you into forgetting how uncaring and chaotic and ultimately, you know, self-serving from an evolutionary preservation standpoint, nature and reality is. So you get some... All the it's noteworthy that all the cute fox moments are at the beginning of the film or near the first third of the film. So he he lets those moments exist in the first third to let you kind of get sucked into the world that Timothy Treadwell got sucked into. And how can you not be amazed by those things, but also recognizing that those are an illusion of perspective. And when you pull out from that, you start seeing the things that we see in the back third of the film which is Timothy becoming more and more unhinged by uh, by humans and by, again, the natural order that he's not okay with. And you start seeing the skulls of baby bears that have been eaten in order to preserve stuff. You see a person yelling at his tent for two weeks while he's stuck in there for the rain. And then ultimately you see the aftermath of uh, two people getting, uh, you know, killed by bears and um and and i think that is why like this movie is unique but also shows something that like you would be impossible to replicate just absolutely impossible to kind of show yes and weirdly it feels that's why it feels like such a it, it was weird it was my first herzog because it feels like the perfect summation of his career like yes all this thing is pretty but there's chaos underneath and everything that you're seeing that appears beauty appears beautiful can change in an instance and 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 not recognizing your place in that unnatural order is what leads to uh humans being susceptible to to violence and death and the uncaring rolling constant nature of the universe churning that way. And so like this movie is so it feels like a thesis statement for a career um, and is also just completely amazing to watch because every time I get choked up by the Fox introducing the kids to Treadwell, knowing that everything I'm seeing is kind of a perversion of what the natural order is. I feel like this is a good good way to kick off this month because I, I feel like we're coming from the spot that f- that feels sort of cynical or, or you know uh, dark, but in reality, I, I, I feel like we're we're not actually there. We're open to this idea of like nature as an experience, but you need to temper that with something. It can't just be this like naive delving into the wild. Um, and like Herzog's quote in the movie is. Trademark Herzog. The the most common character of the universe universe is not harmony, but hostility, chaos, and murder. That's like the most common character of the universe is not harmony, but hostility, chaos, and murder. Like that's that's 
trademark Herzog, but what's beautiful about the movie and particularly what the final stretch of the movie feels like is that he finds a poetry that you can't quite state, an unstatable poetry in uh, Timothy Treadwell's experience uh, that like you can't take away from Timothy, no matter the, how, how horribly, awfully murdered and decapitated and maimed he was by this bear. Um, you can't take away from him these moments of beauty that he captured on film, these moments that he exchanged with these animals. Like you were talking about the moment with the fox and the fox family and there's a bear in the background uh, and the moments where he truly like gives himself over to the experience. There's a moment where he's walking along a stream, a stream mind you is the prime hunting territory for these, these bears. Right. And these two bears are just kind of ambly walking behind him as the, as the movie closes out and the Richard Thompson song kicks in. It's such a, such an absolutely gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous um, sequence. And you can't ultimately take that away from him. Like there's, there's, there's problems with Timothy Treadwell, right? Like there's, yeah. uh, there's a lot of poetry in his love for nature, but there's a lot of problems. Like for instance, he like buys one fantasy that he's this like animal whisper and he has this genuine skill, which, you know, is, is obviously not really true. Um, but he sells another to us while he's buying this fantasy. He, he sells one to us to the camera, which is he's this conservationist Steve Irwin type. And he's selling his image to, to, to that image to society that he rejected. He's selling an image of himself to a, a, a group of people that he rejected. It's almost like he stepped away out of out of society to get perspective of it. And then he took his camera with, so he did 13 summers on the last five summers he had his camera with and shot over a hundred hours of film. It's almost like you wanted to reemerge into society every year as a new transformed man, but not just for himself, not just for, um, you know, self betterment and self care and for an epiphany, but to report back how much he, he'd done for himself. Um, despite the fact that like, uh, you know, despite the fact that like he was spending a lot of his time in between functionally homeless, working shitty jobs just to, you know, fund his trips and make sure he get his flights out there. And it, it very much aligns with the into the wild story. And also, you know, it, it aligns with what we found out later about Henry David Thoreau's trip to Walden, which is that like Walden pond, which is that like his mom was making him lunches and stuff. Like he wasn't totally out there, you know, roughing it as a man, um, the way that he sort of depicts in, in the story, in the memoir, uh, Walden, this, there's lots of, there's lots of, sorry, now I'm picturing you derailed me as a person because now I'm picturing Henry David Thoreau, like fucking Will Ferrell's character from Wedding Crashers. Where he's like, <laughs> oh, the majesty of nature. Mom, I said meatloaf. <laughs> it's not that far off you know, like, the only good part can, of like, crashers. I, I love i love hiking out we didn't talk about this at all but we'll have plenty of time this month like i love hiking out in nature but like i bring a really expensive cooler and i bring meat and eggs in the cooler and beer 
and so I can sleep well. Like I don't. This is not. This is not me actually roughing it. This <laughs> no, is I, I mean we just. So we just away. went. We just went to a cabin, and yeah, my my kids right now are really into hikes. Um, like through little like wooded trails, and since we were out further, we we did one of those. But like more than just like we go to a park that has a little bit of a wooden trail, but like. Uh, you know, we're going to bring a backpack and there's some, you know, different paths and it's like, you know, six miles around and stuff like that. And oh my God, like, you know, we, we made it like, we made it like, I think two and a half miles round trip, but like, you know, then I'm carrying a three-year-old and the, 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 the bugs are getting a little bit too, not as bad as in this movie, by the way, but a little bit too frustrating for everyone. Like, yeah, like. It's fun to go on those adventures, but uh, even through the eyes of a child, like um, you need to to stop and have uh, puffer corn. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Like I, I don't delude my like even with as how much camping and shit I've done, I don't delude myself. Right, like yeah. I am, I'm oh, overpacking yeah. so that I can have creature comforts out there and hopefully still get the epiphany that I want or still get that space in nature that I want. Yeah, you don't want to be so much into nature that you have to eat your kids metaphorically, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, they're kind of little. Like, I don't think you're going to get, like, you know, you eat one and, like, you know, 20 minutes later, you're still hungry. Um, but my, my, my overall point is that even Herzog is caught up in the fact that he had this beautiful experience in nature, despite the fact that it wasn't the experience that he told the world, he, he reported back to the world. It, was, it wasn't that experience. But Herzog got to have a, a vulnerability with a man he never met through his footage. And filmmaker to filmmaker uh, found something beautiful in that. And I feel like that's a great way to start the month because, like... Um, this is this is a story about how people connect to nature and ultimately like how we connect to nature through technology is going to be a theme for the rest yeah. of the month. Um, and that technology might be uh, that technology might be, uh, you know, a musket. Uh, it might be a cell phone. It, it might be, you know, basic technology like caveman technology. But like how we how we stave ourselves out from nature is, an, is as important to the story as anything. Agreed. Yeah, this uh, this is a great start to the month. I'm so excited that Sean sponsored this month or gave us the inspiration for this month. Uh, this is a movie that has always been on my list to talk about. Um, I definitely want to do more Herzog, but it, it just feels like, again, weird that the first movie I would have seen by this guy <laughs> would basically be like the perfect summation of his entire identity and career. Um, but, I, you know, even having now seen another like 15 Werner Herzog movies, it, it still feels like uh, I, I feel like it, this is still like it. This is like the quintessential Werner Herzog movie that gets at everything he's always been getting at, uh, tied with, of course, uh, him as the villain from the Jack Reacher movie. Um, because there's two things that Werner Herzog hates. The uh, the uh, deification of uh, nature and Tom Cruise. Yeah, he hates Jack Reacher <laughs> and um, naive idealism. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, which is, as far as I remember, what Jack Reacher's problem is. I don't remember what Jack Reacher's problem is. I know I would watch the first movie and not the second one. Uh, Next week, we're doing what apparently I learned at the beginning of this podcast is one of Peter's favorite movies of all time, Jeremiah Johnson, a movie I've never seen except in gift form, which is not going to translate well. How are we going to make fun of the gifts? It's a secret Western. I love West. I mean, I assume that he's wearing a cowboy hat in the GIF, right? Uh, no. Yeah. No, he's not wearing a cowboy hat in the GIF, but he does do a lot of cowboy shit. There's a lot of yee-hawing, a little bit of neighing. End of list. Right now, my, he, he neighs a lot? Oh, wait, hold on. Is this going to be an episode where we can talk about what it was like if Mr. Ed was in it? <laughs> Fuck off, bear. <laughs> what if Mr. Ed was in this? What if Mr. Ed was in this movie? Where Herzog's just like, and then inexplicably. <laughs> <laughs> a horse wanders in from off screen in a magical moment of cinema and says, I need more hay. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sergeant Brown. You don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. Hold on, that's Werner Herzog doing that narration. Uh, he does yes. a. That's a. That's the least I've heard him sound German. <laughs> it's a. It's an affectation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we're doing. He was born, German- born in uh, Berlin, Nebraska. <laughs> Frankfurt, South Dakota. <laughs> Represent. Next to Keystone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jeremiah's not a town called like. There's not a town called like there is. Munich, North Dakota. Hold on, that there's just... a Berlin, Wisconsin. There's a new Ber- New Berlin. They oh. thought it was going to be big. Well, I, let's figure out when out that you don't t- need to fly across the ocean. <laughs> let's figure out when that town was founded and figure out how scared you should be to go to it. <laughs> Because uh, if yeah. that if New Berlin, Wisconsin was founded in 1934, stay away. Get out. We need another Berlin <laughs> on the shores of Shakopee. <laughs> it's a short uh, drive night. to the Dells. <laughs> good night. Good night. Was a cowboy I knew in South Texas His face was burnt deep by the sun Part history, part sage, part Mexican He was there when Pancho Villa was young And he'd tell you a tale of the old days When the country was wild all around Sit out under the stars of the Milky Way And listen while the coyotes howl And they go, whoo-yip, whoo-yip, whoo Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. 
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs)